What's going on, Creation Grounds? I'm your host, Aaron Lloyd, and this is episode 51 of the Creation Grounds. Before I get into our next marvelous, dope guest, I want to encourage you to like, share, subscribe, tell people about this podcast that will be inspired, motivated, they'll learn something, they'll improve their lives and their artistry. My next guest is a former teacher of mine at UConn. He was dope. He's a martial artist. He uh, really taught me to be fearless in my work. He taught me not to be afraid of failure. We learn literally through failure via via negative and the Lecoq Systems movement. His name is Greg Webster. He's an amazing actor, amazing teacher, amazing spirit. And in this episode, we cover a lot. He covers Wim Hof and breathing. If you don't know who that is, you're going to want to check this episode out. We cover martial arts, Aikido, Jeet Kune Do. We, we talk about Tai Chi and some interesting concepts that he believes that can actually help bodies. And, and just about the state of America and movement and people having a better relationship with their bodies. We cover, what else do we cover? Fighting. Uh, fighter mindset versus victim mindset. We talk about some practical tips for actors. You can live outside of the major markets and still succeed. We talk about a lot. We talk about life. We just have a, a marvelous chat. You can enjoy this episode with Greg, Greg Webster. Check out his theater company, Split Knuckle Theater. Check out his work and be sure to email him. And he's always open to teach and help people. So do that. Here we are, episode 51. Welcome to another episode of the Creation Grounds featuring my movement teacher at UConn. Taught me a lot about movement. The first assignment I had was the box. He left the room and we were just like, what what was that mean? He was like, the box. (laughs) Mr. Greg Webster, what's up, man? What's up, Aaron? It's good to see you, man. Proud of you. Love what you're doing, man. I like your podcast. Uh, I'm a big fan. Thank you. Big fan. Where, where Where were you born? Go ahead. Where was I born? I was born in Plymouth, Massachusetts, um, but I grew up mostly in Cleveland, Ohio. You? You're a Hartford guy, right? Uh, Bridgeport, BPT. Bridgeport. Sorry about that. I don't want to mess that up. It's all good. I know how y'all get about that. Bridgeport, Hartford. Yeah, man. (laughs) Movement. So you're a movement teacher, um, and we were having a conversation before this. You had some other plans, but you got into acting. Out of all the things in, in the acting craft, you have voice, movement, imagination, all this kind of stuff. What appealed to you about movement? And tell me about the day that you discovered that that's what you wanted to kind of focus on. Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, I started off, first of all, wanting to be a classical actor, wanting to be a Shakespeare actor. Uh, I love language, uh, really rich language. Um, and I'm, I'm actually really good at it, although no one ever hires me for that. <laughs> um, but... Um, so I started off that way, and it was it was through training. Um, I, I was um, I was really struggling with movement stuff. I'm dyslexic, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that happens a lot with dyslexia is uh, also sometimes associated with dyspraxia, so an inability to learn certain physical tasks quickly. So um, my movement really sucked. I also grew up in a black neighborhood. Um, all my friends are black, and so. There were things like um, dancing <laughs> was an object of huge ridicule. Like my friends would just fall out. Like it, it, if I was at a party, they'd be like, look at that. You know, and and uh, so I got real paranoid about it, right? Um, and so it became something that – and one of the things that dyslexia teaches you is that nothing comes to you quickly. So 
you have to keep going at it and going at it and going at it. And so I got told over and over again by teachers, like, you really need to work on your movement. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> so uh, I became obsessed with that um, and started to devour it um, in all shapes and forms. Um, mostly martial arts initially was my entryway. Um, I'm a huge proponent of martial arts training for lots of reasons, but uh, that's how I, I started with it. Um, that led me down a rabbit hole of all kinds of different things. And, I, and essentially also, um, I really started to enjoy working out. I was an athlete. I ran cross country. I was a wrestler. Um, I boxed for a long time in Chicago. Um, these things became really something that uh, I began to feast on. And, uh, and I started studying systems of movement, right? Um, I became really interested in Feldenkrais's work, Moshe Feldenkrais, which is body organizational technique, Alexander technique. Those were things that in acting training were incredibly useful to me and basically discovering my body. Um, and in the process of that, uh, I also became fascinated with the idea. I think it was a Monty Python sketch. One of the, I think it's, maybe it's the meaning of life, like a song at the end where the world is spinning around talking mm -hmm. about how many times the world spins around and we're moving through a universe. So everything is in motion. Yeah. But to understand life is to understand movement because everything is moving all the time. And one of the mistakes we make as human beings is we think that we're somehow stuck in space, right? Or, or And we're surprised when terrible things happen. Like, this is all part of being alive, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and And movement in general a lot of times and strenuous movement is uncomfortable right. and I became really interested in this uh, you know Vince Lombardi the former coach of Green Bay Packers used to say to his players get comfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and that seemed to me to be a real stake um, movement made me uncomfortable so I, I devoured it um, that's how I really got started with it. And then uh, it just led me down into a rabbit hole of all kinds of um, investigations. And I think probably when I was living as an actor in New York, not unlike yourself, um, I was waiting tables, I was, which I was terrible at. You know, I'd just sit down, I could do like four tables, and after that, forget it. And I think I was working at Fiorello's. You know, Fiorello's across from Lincoln Center? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So I used to work there, and I was good up to, like, four tables, and but then, like, pre-theater would come in, and mm. I'd, I'd be at the computer just melting down. And I think I was, like, the only waiter in the place that was like, please, please don't seat me, you know? You know, I just got so stressed out, and I just couldn't keep all those things in my head. I wasn't good at it. And I know there are a lot of actors who are great at it, you know, and they make pretty good money, and it's pretty flexible. Um and I finally just decided, I was like, I'm miserable doing this. I don't work well in an office. I'm dyslexic, so that's not a great strategy for doing office work. Mm -hmm. um, although some dyslexics are good at that stuff. But what I, was, what I figured out that I, was, that I really, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed was personal training. I liked working out. So can I teach people that? And so that led me down into personal training, which led me into Pilates, which led me into gyrotonic, which led me into investigations of body alignment techniques. And so it kind of fell in that way. Um, and then I, you know, I was getting paid, yeah. right? And and people, you know, a big part of my raison d'etre is 
trying to give service to other people. Um, that's why I've been a teacher for 15 years at UConn because you want to give back. You know, I had a great education, so I feel obligated to make sure that other people have it as well. I think um, one of my great heroes, Muhammad Ali, used to say, um, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on this earth. And so that is a big part of um, what, what fuels me in teaching movement. And I love watching people discover their body. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that's horrifying to me uh, as a teacher and as a human being is we spend all this time educating our head. And, and this all comes from the Industrial Revolution, right? We needed to train all, train all these muscles up in your brain to be able to organize to do all these things. But, we, but people look at their body and they're like, I don't know how my arm works. I don't know why it does. But I don't know, you know, physical education is being devastated throughout the United States and, and um, high schools because they say, that, well, we can't afford it. They need science and math. Well, yeah, they need science and math, but they also have a body, right? Right. I checked. And you need to know how that works. Um, and it, and I, I love it because it's endless. And your body's changing every day. You know, like every day is a new day with sometimes aches and pains. Sometimes you feel good. You know, how do you and then that that guy got really curious about that and moved to Chicago, gave up acting because I was miserable, uh, not working. I couldn't get arrested when I lived in New York. Um, and I remember I was outside of equity like at um, five o'clock in the morning. And back in the day in the 90s when I was living there, you know, you ha <clears throat> you had to go to the um, equity building on 46 to get your audition mm -hmm. if you wanted an open call. And it was an open call for, I'll never forget, it was the Orlando Shakespeare Festival in Florida. And it was a, the call in the breakdown was like five, six, uh, white guy, uh, looks like a police officer, something like that. And I was like, okay, cool. That's right up my alley. That's I, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And I got there... Uh, probably around six. You really need to get there. You need day. You need to get there at five thirty if you wanted to get a good appointment. And there was this line that was stretched around the Equity Building, going down past the Cuban restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like going all the way down the street. And it was six o'clock in the morning. I looked on the line, and it was it was a whole line of dudes who looked just like me. And I was like, this is an open call which means it's probably they're, – they're just doing it because equity has to do it. Right. They've all passed it. Um, and that just – I finally like lost – I was like, I got to get out of here. I also just broken up with my girlfriend who I was living with for six years and she was the love of my life at the time. And you know, my head was not in a good place. And you know how New York is. When you're down in that city, it's like, get oh, – <laughs> feeling bad? <laughs> oh, take that. <laughs> Oh, you're up here, you feel worse. Oh, yeah, your life is bad now. I mean, it's just a severe beatdown under the best circumstances, right? Yep. So I was like, ah, fuck this, man. I got to get in the car and get the hell out of this town. And then I moved back to Chicago. Um, uh, my dad had taken a teaching job at Northwestern. So I lived in their basement for about a year and a half and just basically just inundated myself with trying to find ways uh, to build up a practice. Right. Um, 
And so that really got me into it. But more importantly, what really got me into it was the work of a man named Jacques Lecoq, mm -hmm. which I spent some time teaching you, which was your, your initial premise. Like I walked into a room and set the box and walked out. And his work became really interesting to me. I had these two Swedish teachers that actually one was Swedish and the other one was from South Carolina. They're, uh, um, you can look them up online, um, Ed Dameron and Vadisha Malik. Um, and um, I remember what, and, and so Ed was going to show us, you know, masks and various things that we were working with and stuff that's part of the Lecoq pedagogy. And then one day he, he said, uh, I'm going to share with you, I'm rehearsing a show. Um, so I'm going to let you guys come into this rehearsal so you can see what this work is about. And it's a show called Columbus Circle. And um, he basically, it was the story of Christopher Columbus, but seen through the eyes of an, of an office worker who, um, who longed for something else, wanted to explore the world, but was caught in the monotony and the monogamy, not monogamy, monotony, <laughs> and monogamy of life. He was monogamous with his wife. Um, but uh, in the monotony of life, and um, he had a table and a glass of water and um, uh, like a pencil. And he created this whole thing where he was in the thing and there were Indians and people were shooting arrows at him and he was, you know, climbing. He was on top of a ship. He was standing on top. He created this entire world out of nothing mm -hmm. um, with incredible mime technique, which is gets a really bad rap in this country. But mime basically is to mimic, right? It's how we learn. But he created this whole world. And he was by himself, and it was work that he did without a script. Wow. Right? It wasn't relying upon waiting for a writer to bang out a script over, you know, over an old typewriter with a bottle of bourbon and a loaded gun next to him, <laughs> you know, and they'll send it off to a casting director. And the ca like that, that I, the system became a real problem in my mind. Right. So I said, how can I buck this system? And the bucking of the system became making your own work. So that happened to me in graduate school. And then while I was in Chicago recovering from my New York experience, um, I saw an ad in, uh, it's a, in, in Chicago. It's called The Reader, which is, I guess in backstage is New York back in the day. I know it's still there. Um, but, uh, and it was for Lecoq School. Um, so it was, and it's like, after I watched Ed do that work, I was like, I want to do that, but I'm just, just dipping my toe into how to make my own stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really need to understand this more. And I want to see that theater on the American stage. And so I flew off to London and I had saved up a bunch of money from personal training and stopped acting for about five years and just focused on working six, seven days a week to try and get some cash because I'd never had money before. So uh, that, you know, the, and, and it seemed like everybody was happy with that, right? Mm -hmm. You make money, you have a family, you do something. Like, Let me try that. It seems like the rest of humanity is happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, maybe I don't have to do this acting shit, you know, um, or, or make new work or doing it. Maybe because everybody else seems to be happy mm -hmm. um, or they say they're happy anyway. Um, so that led me to trying to like, and then I went to Britain and studied the stuff for two years at, uh, the London International School for Performing Arts, which no longer exists there. It's now moved to Germany, 
but um, it was a school dedicated just to that pedagogy of trying to make your own stuff. And I, it's really hard, as you well know, mm-hmm. um, to make your own work. But it also, the reason I'm passionate about it for American actors is because it's a way in to the system, right? When you make your own stuff, you start attracting people to you. Whereas you're trying to pound on the door, and I'm sure you experienced this when you first went to the city, but you can talk about it, where you're just like banging on the door, mm-hmm. and nobody's letting you in. You, you don't have access, because you're not anybody's kid, number one. Right. right? That would help. You know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of nepotism in this business, and um, you're not rich. Right. Like, as far as I remember, a kid from Bridgeport didn't come up with a lot of money. At all. Uh, so those two things are a huge problem. You're not someone's kid. You're not rich. You didn't go to Yale, you didn't go to NYU grad, and you didn't go to Juilliard. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the red carpet. Those schools give you the red carpet. Not saying it's not hard, but if you walk in with that on your CV, immediately people pay attention, mm-hmm. or at least a resume in this country, because you have those credits. And I just saw that, and I'm like, this is really kind of jacked up. But if I can make my own stuff, well, then I can change that paradigm. I don't have to wait for the phone to ring or get an email from a casting director or my agent, if I can get an agent, right, mm-hmm. to, to make that paradigm. So I said, okay, you can you can work it in both angles. Like, I'm looking at you and seeing what you're doing, and it looks like you're doing both of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What you, well, I'm curious to hear from you. So how long how long have you been out of school now? Since 2011, so 10 years. 10 years, Jeez. man. I got old, man. I got old. I, I got um, some grades too, man. It's crazy. <laughs> so that's a really good perspective man so i want to ask you this question because i'm really interested in this which is um what were the lessons that or ideas that stuck with you in school and then what were the things that you know that your teachers tried to teach you that you didn't understand and what were the things that only the business could teach you I'm really interested in this because I'm I'm I feel like a lot of the times as trainers of actors like I'm we're teaching voice and speech we're teaching movement we're teaching some on camera work we're trying to get you ready for all that stuff but then you get out in the profession and it's like stepping onto the moon it is like you know you like you're not set up for it right because you don't understand how the business is and I tried to teach that stuff but I also think it's kind of impossible you that maybe learn. you just have Go out and do it yourself, but I just want to know what you think about that. That was a lot I just threw at you, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I love what have you it. I think I think you and I are similar in one way. Something I struggled with in in college was voice. I mumbled. I had no like certainty in my in my voice. I couldn't project. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny now that I'm doing a podcast. So in terms of just like, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm I'm working on that, right? But to your to your point of your your class specifically really helped me because something that you never did was tell us like good job, or like that was good work. You always said, "I wonder how you can increase this," and we learn through failure, right? right. So there was right. there was there was kind of like a a, a fearlessness of like I, I when people I just booked my second episodic and it's been ten years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So all right. those knows right. that's cool. Um, in terms of, in terms of that also something that you kind of equipped me with was just i have a skill that not a lot of actors have because of your class because of jack lecoq um just that that pedagogy i still remember the platform thing where on this there's six by six platform 
and we had to create life is beautiful in the birds and me and my cohort did that so that was super helpful in terms of like enriching my imagination and the way i approach characters suzuki helped um all these different things um but to the business that didn't prepare like it couldn't prepare me for that at all because you're going out and you're thinking i'm an artist i'm an artist but you don't realize you're a commodity (laughs) and 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 people want to buy something your heart. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you ever seen that interview with Dave Chappelle on the Actor Studio? Yeah, how corporate interest uh, meets artists. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait to this point where corp, where, where oh, what is it? See, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something about the meeting point where art, business, and art meet is heartbreaking. Yeah, okay, that's like one of the things I try to tell my students before I'm leaving. Like, prepare to get your heart broken. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is business. It's called show business for a reason, right? And so you've got to set your mind to the fact that what are you in the scope of that business? Well, yeah, as an actor, you essentially are a commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you're a film star, if you're Denzel Washington, people make movies because of you. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing, and that's a one in you know ten billion shot. And you know, Denzel is a, a master. Um, uh, uh, he also went to ACT. <laughs> mm-hmm, <yeah. laughs> it did hurt, you know, because um, that's a good political connection. But for most of us, it doesn't work out like that. Right. Right. So um, I heard this wonderful, one of my favorite things to listen to over and over again. I don't know if you're listening to him is Mark Marin and his podcast, WTF, mm-hmm. and him interviewing all these people in the business. I just listened to this one with one of my favorite actors, um, favorite film actors. He's also a theater actor, was a theater actor, Scott Glenn. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Glenn was in Hunt for Red October, and uh, he uh, he was the white guy who was Denzel's best friend in Training Day, who he has Ethan Hawke shoot him. Mm-hmm. And that, that's an incredible scene. I went back and watched it again last night. Like, what an incredible piece of acting between those guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got to listen to it, man. There's more wisdom in that from listening to someone who's been in the business for 30, 40 years talking about, like, Here's what happens. I mean, I think the, the thing I know you were talking about earlier, you said, you know, you've been here 10 years and you just got, would you say two? My second episodic. Yeah, your second episodic. That's still, that's huge. Yeah. You know, and I know it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my experience is one, I think one of the mistakes I've made as a performer is that I stay somewhere for about five years, I pick up my bags and I go someplace else. Right. Uh, as a young actor, and uh, and I kind of think that's a mistake. You know, I, I always say to my students, look, if you're planning to go to New York and try it out, like, don't don't bother. Right. Don't bother. you got to be there for a long – New York – a lot of cities take five to seven years for people to get get to know you. Mm-hmm. New York took 10, 20. You know, it's not until you're in – guys are working now. I'm 50, right? I don't know how that happened, but um, <laughs> I really don't. Um, but – my friends didn't start booking work until their 40s. Wow. A lot of it was was and is, my feeling is, is because the people that you came up with are now in positions of power. Right, right. Right? So now some of them are producers. Some of them are casting directors. Some of them are agents. They say, hey, man, I'm working on this project. And you're still here? You're still doing it? And it's that staying power, it's that willingness to get your head beaten in on a daily basis um, and to get up again and to try and find a way to be optimistic in the face of that thing. And for most people in places like New York and Los Angeles, 
it's crushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they don't make it. And I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe some of, I don't know how many of your classmates still have anything to do with the business, you know? Um, and that's 10 years out. And let me tell you, five more years from now, you're going to see another exponential drop of that. And then five years after that, you're going to see more. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is hanging on for long enough to, um, so that your your create a community is created and people start to know who you are. Um, so I'm telling kids right now, like, don't go to New York. Go to Atlanta. You think and Atlanta? Stuff is- there is a lot. That- there is a lot in Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta, right? New Orleans was blowing up for a while. Right. Right? So they can build their reels. They can build, they, they couldn't get a you know, they couldn't get arrested. They couldn't get looked at in New York or Los Angeles, but because it's a smaller community, they can start to do the you know, they can start to make break and they can get the stuff on footage. Yeah. And now you go back to New York or Los Angeles because you have something to show for it. Right. You know? Um and, you know, I, I knew actors I went to grad school at UMKC in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew actors in Kansas City who were working nine, ten months out of the year and not having to work a day job, just acting in Kansas City, Missouri. In theater or, being, or film? In, in theater. Wow. Not film, but theater. Um, and they had a house, right? Some of them had families. Uh, you know, that's unheard of. Yeah. Um, city like New York, that's really hard. I mean... <laughs> let's chat about Wim Hof a little bit. Cause, um, oh, yeah, know, let's talk about Wim Hof. Like, how, how do you incorporate that in your life in, in terms of, like, breath? Something that you always said in college was, like, if you don't breathe, you die. Like, literally, but also in your work. You know what I mean? You can't can't project or anything like that how is what who is Wim Hof and how has he changed your life um for those of you who don't know Wim Hof um he's from the Netherlands um and he's uh he's very famous as the Iceman he's all over the internet and basically he set world records for uh submerging himself in ice for two and a half hours without his core body temperature changing. He's been injected with viruses and has beaten these viruses by virtue of accessing his autoimmune system to fight that without getting sick. He ran uh, through a desert without water or training um, in a pair of gym shorts he climbed Kilimanjaro in a pair of gym shorts. <laughs> he climbed Mount Everest in a pair of gym shorts. Um, and he's developed a breathing technique, which actually is very old. Um, it's not new stuff that he's doing, but it's basically 30 in-breaths that are longer inhalations and exhalations. At the end of 30 in-breaths and 30 out-breaths, you take a breath and you hold your breath in for as long as you can. Uh, the average person can do that for about 45 seconds without training. Um, I now can do it for about three to four minutes consistently. Wow. Uh, and what what this does for your body is that by, by uh, and you do this three cycles, three times, 30 breaths, three times with the three breath holds. And um, if for those of you that have smoked marijuana, it's like taking a hit off of a giant joint, and you're basically getting high on oxygen. So the physiological change, the cannabinoids that are released inside of your body are really powerful, but it's rewiring your nervous system, your lymphatic system, your proprioceptive system, um, and 
you know, I, I got really into it when, when COVID started because I was just freaking out and I was making connections probably like a lot of you are with um, with old friends and people I hadn't talked to in a long time. So I called up an old Tai Chi master friend of mine in Colorado. His name's Dave England. He's a genius. Um, and I, he was like, I was like, okay, I want to get back into Tai Chi again. I'm doing a lot of Arnis and Filipino martial arts and Jeet Kune Do and some of that stuff. And I want to get back to Tai Chi again. And uh, he said, yeah, you got to check out this cat, Wim Hof. He's bulletproof. And so I started looking into his stuff. And what, what he's doing is these are shamanistic, not shamanistic, but basically Indian, Tibetan, Nepalese breathing techniques that he's codifying with science. Mm-hmm. And these breathing techniques basically alkaline the body. So uh, the acidity of our body is what kills us. One of the number one things, killers in the United States right now, aside from coronavirus, uh, <laughs> or, you know, police officers, if you're African-American, um, are, um, is, uh, heart, heart failure, heart disease and heart failure. Right. Right. Um, and so what he figured out is that in this cold, the sit that I was not excited about was this cold immersion. So it's basically in addition to this breathing pattern, which I do every day, uh, you go into a shower, I clean up with a hot shower and then, um, you put on the cold water freezing cold water like the coldest setting and you try and stay in it for you know as long as you can tolerate it which is about uh when you're initially doing it it's about like you know five seconds you're freaking out your body flips out um but if you can control your breathing because what immediately will start to feel yourself happen is just start to hyperventilate mm-hmm. <laughs> you start to gasp but if you can make that exhalation long and just basically you're good i, I count it i'm like one, <laughs> it's not pleasant, right? It feels like pins and needles. Be cold. I don't like being cold. Yeah. Uh, but what that does for your body is really remarkable in terms of your vascular system and delivery system of your nervous system. So the cold showers combined with the breathing are game changers. And I've done a lot of body work in my life, and I've been a body worker for a long time. But this is hands down some of the most powerful simple body work that I have encountered body and mental work. Um, so yeah, definitely I, uh, I cannot speak highly enough about them and I do believe it's how we beat coronavirus because it rewires your immune system. You know, a lot of, a, a lot of what's happening in the research they're finding about coronavirus is about inflammation that happens inside of the body, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, cold stuff they've been doing with athletes for years, I remember when I was boxing in Chicago, I boxed with these ex-Russian military guys, and they, after they beat the crap out of me, they would take a shower, and then um, at the end of the shower, they'd turn it on to freezing cold water. And I was like, why the fuck are they doing this? Like, this is nuts. Um, and they just that was what they were taught in Russia, was this cold cold immersion. Imagine it, because, you know, Moscow is like, reg, on the regular, is 30 degrees below zero. <laughs> Jesus. So... Their body has to be conditioned to cold. Right. Right? Um, and so that was the first time I've heard it. But, I mean, you see it with, like, uh, I think Antonio Brown, when he was playing for the Raiders, um, really screwed himself up because he put himself in one of those freeze chambers, those fast freeze chambers for too long and screwed up his feet mm-hmm. for half season. But, you know, you don't have to do any of that. But, you know, they, a lot of athletes in training rooms, my, my sister's an athletic trainer, they use ice a lot as therapy. So there's something about the cold and our body's exposure to it because basically our ancestors didn't have all this clothing. 
right? Our ancient ancestors. So our body's immune systems were able to deal with cold, deal with adversity, deal with great heat, deal with virus mm-hmm. uh, in a different way. So it's basically returning you to the natural balance of your body. And like my whole trip now is like going back and looking at what our ancient ancestors were eating and what they were doing and trying to mirror those behaviors. Because essentially like our digestive system hasn't changed in tens of thousands of years. Right. But we didn't have enriched flour. We most certainly didn't have sugar, you know, in the quantity that we're having now. And so this is why we have all these massive health problems in this country. It's also, frankly, while a lot of people, a lot more Americans are dying per capita of this disease because they're, our population is obese, right? right? Terrible underlying conditions because of the poison that's been coming from the food industry, that's been coming from drug companies. I can't even watch network television anymore because of the damn drug commercials. Yeah. That's horrifying to me. Take this, and then you're going to crap out of your pants, and you're going to pee yourself. (laughs) Side effects include. (laughs) What is wrong? I mean, no other country in the world does that except the United States. Wow. Go to Great Britain, you will never see a drug ad. And you know why? Because they say drugs really should be left for the doctors to figure out, right? Mm. Right? Right. But there's a pharmaceutical industry who has interest in that outcome. The food industry wants you to eat more food. Right? They want to have you process food. There are people whose job it is to make the perfect potato chip. Wow. How does it in your mouth? What sound does it make? What's the feel? Like they research this and then they sell it. You know, you look at a bag of Doritos, like I like Doritos. There's so much poison in that, you know, and then you're filling your body with that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whole foods, like real, real food, right? And, and um, you know, that, that's what I'm trying to look at in terms of my health and my well-being. And I, I, I also started this intermittent fasting along with this keto diet, um, trying to get into that because I wanted to stay in shape because as you get older, your metabolism gets slower, um, you know, and it gets harder. And you know how it is when you, you, you think you look a particular way and then you see yourself on camera and you're like, oh, shit, I need to lose 10 pounds. <laughs> you know? Looking a little bloated today, you know. Like so those strategies are like serious things because so much of what we do is how we look, but it's also how we feel. Right. Right. If you're putting poison in your body on a daily basis, that's going to affect your mental state. That's going to affect your spiritual state. That all those things are interconnected. You know. And one of the things I just love about Wim Hof, he's you know he's a philosopher as well, and like what he's talking about is happiness, health, and strength. Everything else is bullshit. Right. Right. So, right. Of course. And like we're moving so fast and people are telling us all these things are important. You need to make more money. You need to do this. You need to make these goals. And like all of that is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Um, you know, there, there's no scales. So like I'm looking at what you're doing and I'm, you're doing great, man. Like, I mean, if, if you're still in it after this and you still in, you're encouraged by the work that you're doing and the stuff you're doing, I know it's hard, but Give yourself, you know, I say to all actors, you've got to have a spiritual practice. Yeah. So going back, I went off on a tangent here, but going back to your question, like how does it work? And I'm having students do this breathing. Um, Also, I'm having to teach online, right? So I can't be in the room with them. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm trying to give them resources to try and do this. Um, And for some of them, they really take to it. Others, they freak out. Like, I mean, I think the first time I did the breathing pattern, 
I was laying on the floor and I started laughing hysterically and I didn't know what, what was funny. Right. right? I, you know, another time I did it, I was crying my eyes out and I wasn't really sad, although there's a lot to be sad about. Um, but all these things live inside of our body, right? Right. You know, so this idea, Russell Brand, he has great conversations also with the activist and actor Russell Brand. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Funny uh, dude, too. English, yeah, he's hilarious, um, but quite brilliant. Um, and one of the things that I love that he talked about with Wim is he talks about the Aboriginal people, the native people of Australia, and how um, the Aboriginal people say there are three brains in the body. There's the brain that's in your head, there's the brain that's in your heart, and there's the brain that's in your gut. The brain that's in your head in the Aboriginal language is the same word for a tangled fishing net. The brain that's in your head head is the same word in aboriginal language as a tangled fishing net oh because the brain is like tangled or like uh wandering yeah your head is really only meant to solve one which is organizational problem solving of simple things it's not meant to do emotional decisions right 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 (laughs) you know it's not meant to do gut decisions that's stuff you've got to listen to except we spend all this time training our head and the aboriginal say you're problem as a people is that you don't recognize the three brains and you're trying to do this one thing with your head that it's not equipped to do and it's a brain a mind out of control right the mind you like when we talked about mask work we did theatrical mask i said to you i don't know if you remember but the mask is not the thing that's wearing on your face it's the whole body of the character it's the energy you project in the space mm-hmm. right so you've got to understand that your imagination, your thought, your creativity is as much in your pinky toe as it is in your brain. I love that. You know, that's where it's at. You've got to understand your body. And so the conversations that you have with your body on a daily basis start to blow up creativity inside of the rest of your life. I mean, you know how it is when uh, a creative idea comes to you. It's not always in a space. You know, it could be when you're sitting on the train and you smell something, somebody walks by you, you know, or, uh, you know, there's a beautiful woman walks by, you smell her perfume, and you have a flashback to some romantic point in your life. Mm-hmm. Like our body is a, is a sensual organism, uh, these five senses that we sense with, but there are also these other deeper six, seven, eight, nine senses that lie underneath what we see as, you know, smelling, tasting, touching, feeling, like there are, there are other things, hearing, you know, our body has innate desires in it. Like one of the things, just going back to it, like um, in martial arts that I love, um, I studied Aikido for a long time, which is a Japanese art form, which is, does a lot of joint locks, a lot of flowing movement. And I had an acting teacher who said I need to get into it to get flow into my body and to ground myself. So I started studying it. Um, and um, my sensei, uh, who's now passed, uh, a guy named uh, Robert Lickey, uh, we were at his funeral, and we were training stories around the dojo, um, and uh, one of his former students said, do you know how, uh, I want to tell you about the time that Sensei saved my life. You know, we were like, okay, well, he must have been in a parking lot, and he was being attacked by five guys, and you know, what's <laughs> 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 going through my head, right? And he said, no, man, I was in Tower 2 at wow. the World Trade Center when it was hit on 9-11, and um, everybody, the guards and everybody were telling us to go back to our offices. And I remembered this voice from Sensei who said, 
if something feels wrong, that's because it is wrong. Mm. Right? And he ran, he went, ran past everybody, got out of the building, and he lived, and everybody else in his office died. Jeez. Jeez. Right? That's deep shit. Yeah. If something feels wrong, that's because it is wrong. And so you have these innate voices that live inside of your body, these minds in your gut, in your heart, which have information to give you, but we keep short-circuiting it with our head instead of listening to them. Right. And, and it takes practice, again, because we spent all this time, you need to learn science, math, you need to learn all these things, but we're not, and we're not training the body, so we stop listening to the body. Everything in society is telling us not to listen to the body, or, oh, you have a pain? Take this drug. Make it go away. <laughs> that's, not, that's not helping you to understand what the fuck is going on. Right. That's masking the problem. Right. You know, pain um, is an indicator from your body that you're not using yourself well. It's like an alarm clock. You know, if you're waking up with headaches and getting migraines every week, you need to get into that. You need to get into some acupuncture. You need to get in some breathing, man. You need to get, but you don't need to be pounding a bunch of drugs to do that. Yeah. You can, and, and I'm not knocking doctors. I mean, there, there's some things that Western medicine is incredible for. But in terms of holistic health, you know, my, my teacher also used to say, don't be a human doing, be a human being. I love that. I remember you used to say that. Yeah, yeah, I got that from you know, and, it, and it's it brings tears to my eyes when I think about it because most most people spend their life being a human doing, blaming the world for the things that are happening to them, blaming other forces. Like this, I, I loathe loathe victim mentality. I can't stand it. I love fighters. Yeah, people who get knocked down who go, okay, that hurt. I got my ass kicked. I'm getting back up again. I love that spirit about human beings. But to put your mind in the you, to put your health and your well being in the hands of other people is madness. Yeah. So I encourage any human being to get in Congress with your body. And there's so much information that's out there: Rolfing, Feldenkrais, Alexander, Tai Chi Chuan, Gyrotonic, Pilates. Like the, it's endless. Yoga. I mean, there's so much stuff to start to try and find. But you've got to train yourself on a daily basis to awaken those voices inside of your body and to keep yourself in good physical health and good spiritual and mental health. And that's my big kick now, Aaron, is like I, I tell my students, like, I don't give a shit if you go off and be a professional actor. I really don't care. Mm -hmm. What I care about is that you are alive, fully alive as a person and engaged in the creative act. You know, uh, of being alive. Your your life can be an art form. I love that. You know? Yeah, man. Uh, you, I, I started doing uh, celery juice. Um, have you, have you, do you juice at oh, all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went a juicing kick for a long time, um, and, and that was really useful. I was trying to drop some pounds, too. I went on a juice diet. Um, yeah, I drink green juice every day because, you know, I love meat. <laughs> <laughs> force myself to eat vegetables yeah um it's really stupid because you know your diet really should be mostly green leafy vegetables all the science proves that mm -hmm. um so i work at green juice is good I'm, I'm liking celery juice like mixed with some cucumber i love juicing um on the keto diet the stuff that i'm doing you don't want a lot of sugar in your diet um so you have to be careful about adding way too much fruit on what i'm eating right now right uh, but it like juicing cleanses and juicing fasts i think are great you know, yeah. I'm also big into intermittent fasting. I usually don't eat until four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been doing that now for about 
well, since the pandemic started. So I don't eat until three or four o'clock. I drink tea and coffee and have water. Um, I feel great. Um, the science behind that is really fascinating. Um, so they're looking at a lot of, well, one, I mean, you take a look at what people look like at the turn of the 19th and 20th century, and you take a look at what Americans look like now, you're going to see a significant difference. Like people were not massively obese and they only ate three meals a day, right? right? Idea of eating five times, six times in a day, like the science is proving that's not necessarily really good for you. It stresses out your liver. It stresses out your adrenal gland. Your body doesn't function properly. And if you think about it, this goes back to my earlier point. I'm so professing right now. Um, that um, human beings don't didn't our, our ancient ancestors, and that's my guide. Like looking back at what were our ancestors doing, they did not have food available to them all the time. Facts. Right. They had to hunt their stuff. They had to run it down, kill it. And there were many days where they went back to the cave or whatever, back to the village, and were like, hey, didn't get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and your mental capacity does not diminish by lack of food. The interesting thing is it's about glucose. It's about this fucking thing called sugar. Right. Right? So most of the American diet is wired through sugar. The food industry pours sugar into food because what does it do? Sugar, in a, our ancient ancestors, when we had it, the taste of sweet meant not poison. Right. Right? So I know if something is sweet, it won't poison me. So we ate a lot of it. So our body is hardwired for sugar. You know, we taste it and we're like, oh, no, God, I gotta have it. I gotta have a bowl of ice cream. I gotta put more hot <laughs> sauce on top of it. You know, like, not hot sauce, but hot sauce. Um, and, and, you know, I turn into a lunatic now if I eat ice cream. I'm like, ah, I'm bouncing off of the walls because my body has been um, trained. It. I conditioned it to work off of burning fat mm-hmm. um, and, you know, fat and protein instead of working on a glucose diet. So that's why you have these people who have like, they say they get hangry. You know, my wife for a while, she doesn't have food at a certain time. You know, she says her blood sugar's off and she gets really flipped out and, you know, that, and, and, you know, a lot of that is because of sugar, right? right, out of the body. Um, so it's 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 an interesting problem to to start to face. I also like it because I drink, and I can have a martini at the end of the day. Um, and there are no carbs in a martini. Basically, you're on a low carb basis, like twenty to forty carbs a day for men, and women generally need to be even lower because of their biochemistry, and uh, they're closer to twenty. But uh, there's a woman named um, Cynthia Turin, I think is her name. She has a TED Talk on it. It's really great. She can talk about it better than I can. But she's also, she talks about it. The the science behind it is really sound. Um, And it's also a great mental challenge, mental physical challenge for me, right? If Wim Hof can climb up Mount Everest (laughs) in a pair of chip boards, maybe I can wait until 4 o'clock not to eat. You know, like, come on, man. Yeah. You know, uh, I was thinking, of, I was watching this other night, this David Mamet movie um, called The Edge with um, Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin, the bears chasing him. I forget the other brother who's in it gets killed early. He's a lovely actor, too. Uh, he was on Lost. Anyway, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this scene where um, Anthony Hopkins is trying to, can, they're being chased by this grizzly bear who's hunting them through the... Um, through the Alaskan wildlife and like, you know, they're, they're trying to escape this bear who's trying to kill them and they don't have contact with the outside world. And 
you know, Anthony Hopkins starts telling we're going to kill the fucking bear and like Alec Baldwin's crying and he starts grabbing him and going, what one man can do, another man can do. What one man can do, another man can do. And like makes him say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think about. Like when I come against these things where I go like, that's not possible, right? It is possible. Right. You just have to train. You have to train and you may need to start slowly, but you can build into it. You can get there if you train. Yeah. You know, um, that's another thing I wanted to ask you. Like, one of the frustrations that I had as a young actor in New York was I came out of school, I had all of these skills, um, but I didn't have um, a place to practice. <laughs> a place to practice, like that was gone. Yeah. Right. And then I couldn't practice because I had to go to the restaurant. Yep. And I had a double because I couldn't pay my rent. Right. And so that. Uh, so the, and then I'm at the restaurant and I'm there till midnight or I'm catering or whatever and then I'm, I want to blow off some steam with my friends so suddenly we're out having drinks it's 2, 3 o'clock in the morning yep. and then suddenly getting up again I'm back at the restaurant I was stuck in that loop for years Yeah. lots of drugs lots of you know uh, it's a really tough racket so and I see you're working you got this real estate thing you're doing right that's why I got into real estate because I, I was, man, I, I was getting beat. The, the shit was getting beat out of me when I came to me. I was sleeping on floors, jumping over turnstiles, getting tickets because I had to hop a bus. Um, I hear you. You know, and I was sleeping on the floor for so long that something like clicked on my back and I went to the hospital to get it checked out. And then this is yeah. what, what turned out. I was working at Applebee's in the Bronx. <laughs> uh-huh. And I got a penny tip after busting my behind for these people. I was like, I, I can't do it. I, 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 res- I respect myself too much for this. So that's that's why I got into real estate. Because the flexibility of the schedule, you can make money. And the only reason I'm doing this is to provide some kind of level four artistry, some kind of financial freedom so I can create. Um, and and that's been my experience, man. It's I got tired of uh, being on somebody else's time, you know what I mean? And, and not being able to fund these ideas that I have and, and, and you know... And and like you said, man, UConn was was so like it was great because every day it wasn't lost on me even freshman year that after these four years you're out in the world and you got bills to pay and you got rent and I want to be a sponge and absorb as much as I possibly can because I had zero training prior to that I'd not seen a Broadway show I I didn't know who these these playwrights were nothing so I was like I'm gonna be a sponge OD I was tight <laughs> you know you remember I was yeah. like very aloof and very. I'm going to graduate, you know, and that's how I was. No, man, it's part of the reason I think I auditioned you when uh, um, maybe I didn't. You I, did. did, you did. It was you, Dale. I <laughs> and I looked at you, man, and you know, one of the things that's great about being an actor, and I'm sure you've discovered it too, is that you get that sixth sense goes off on you. You 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 can see a spirit of somebody, and I remember looking at you and I was like, this kid's a fighter. He's gonna be all right, you know. Um, and, and I love that. So that, that quality, like, and you know, you telling me that I was like, absolutely. You do what you got to do. Like I, one of the things I used to take great, um, comfort from was, um, God, there was a, I think it's still there. There's a health club on 43rd. I lived in hell's kitchen back when hell's kitchen was actually hell's kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, strippers and crack needles and crack needles, uh, needles and crack, crack pipes and hookers and um, back when New York had character. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, um, 
Disney didn't own that whole side of the city. But um, yeah, but uh, and I remember that I remember talking to one of the guys that worked at the health club that I was training at. Um, and he said, did you know that Samuel Jackson used to be a security guard here? Wow. And I'm, Sam Jackson was a security guard here at this health club? And they're like, yeah. And they showed me pictures. Wow. Um, and I was like, all right. All right. Well, Sam, Sam can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can get up. If Sam could do it, I can get up. Well, one man you can know, do. What another man can do. What one man can do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man. So. Yeah, I'm all about that, but I'm sorry, I cut you off. So yeah, so you got into the real estate thing. I knew a lot of actors who were starting, that was starting to really blow up in the 90s that they were using actors to um, sell rental, not sell, but um, mostly do rental properties. Is that the same thing? Yeah, except I do sales yeah. too. So it's like oh, all around. Yeah. Nice. And that's paying the bills and that's giving you the flexibility? Absolutely. And now I'm going to start investing and doing all that kind of stuff so I could completely... A dream life would just be to get up and practice my art. Like that's yeah, like sure. I want to do that. I want to. I just want to be be the best actor I can be, you know, and right, right, and, right. and create. But to to your point of like, if actors are listening, what what can they do to train their bodies? If they're if they're in that loop where they're they're going to restaurants, working forty hours a week, their their artist spirit is kind of dying. Like, wh- how can they fight or get out of that victim mindset um, to to fight to see another day? I'm going to say something now that um, that's going to be hard to hear, but um, <laughs> I know you're going to laugh when you hear it. Marry a rich person. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of joking, but, but I'm not really joking. You know what I'm saying? Like because our business, you don't have that opportunity. You need to find a way to stabilize your financials. Yeah. If you can't stabilize your financials, um, and I'm a very like you, I think I'm very practical. Yeah. Like I, I was just like I can't eat, and I part of the reason that I that I stopped freelancing completely and went into teaching was because I got really tired of knowing what bill I was going to pay or whether I was getting kicked out of my apartment next month. Right. Well, that shit got really old. I could do that for about five, seven years, and then that wasn't cute anymore as I moved into my 30s. And I was like, hey, this thing's cute. This thing's good, man. This is not a good long-term plan. You know? Uh, that being said, some the people that I know that are the most successful was uh, were people who said quitting is not an option. Right. <laughs> yeah. They just like the people that I know are successful now. They're big. They're not big movie stars, but they're working New York actors. Right. Uh, um, they just the idea of not of stopping just wasn't an option. And I think that's a real kind of bulletproof mentality that I don't have. Like I looked at it and went, I I need to find a way to make. I need to find a hustle here. You know. At the same time, I know that some of those same people who are incredibly talented. Who are 40, 50 years old working as managers at Trader Joe's. Right. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm not dissing that at all. It's the, most of us spend our life having to do that. We take care of our family. We find our love and fulfillment through other things than our work. Um, and maybe you do feel, you know, I've met guys, I'm sure you have. I work in supermarkets and house painting and construction and guys who are really into it. You know, mm, yeah. <laughs> I can do this, man. We got to pack these eggs in aisle six, man. <laughs> Well, I guess you know, but I just looked at that and I was and I and I just like I don't know, 
Um, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to work my way back to your question because it's a really tough one. But again, for me, I think it is. It, you you chime in on this because I think it's about trying to find work that doesn't suck the soul out of your body that still pays you bills that you can walk away from if you need to because you have a show. Um, and I think that takes a long time to figure out. 100%. I'd say, sorry? 100%. Yeah, I think that takes like five years, five, six years. And I mean, it took me leaving the city to figure it out, right? To figure out what can I do that's not going to suck the soul out of my body that allows me to do that. And I'm joking about, I'm not joking. A lot of my friends, <laughs> um, specifically a lot of my male friends, no, my female friends too, who are working New York actors are married to someone who has a real job, right. <laughs> you know, who's working in banking or, or as a hedge fund manager or something who is willing to let their loved one be out of town for nine months out of the year. Like, honey, I got to go tomorrow. What? You know what I mean? <laughs> That, that's that's rare. Yeah. And, you know, and um, and you know, and the mo- and that's the other thing that's interesting is like the most successful actors that I know in New York usually are never in New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they have an apartment in New York, but they're traveling around, they're doing shows, they're going to London, they're coming back, so they're always missing not being in the city. Um. So yeah, I don't have an answer to that. If I if I did, I'd probably be a millionaire. But what I would say is this is, you know, classes are good um, to keep scene study, but it, it's your own people that keep you going. Yeah. Right? It's the people in your community and having contact with them and saying, hey, you know what, man? I got this idea for a show. And um, <laughs> it's, it's the other thing I say to students like about making their own theater companies is like theater companies are born at two o'clock in the morning in the bar after you're done waiting tables and that theater company no longer exists by 10 o'clock in the morning the next day. Um, and it's because people don't want to do the work, mm. right? We don't need any more actors. We don't need them. It's it, the market's saturated, right? What can you do? Can you produce? Are you good at talking to people? Where can you get that money from? Right? Grants? Grants are pretty much dried up, mm-hmm. right? They're pitiful. But, you know, so that's not a great way. So how can I raise the money for this project? Well, all right, but I got to be, we got to have someone who can do bookkeeping. We got to have someone who does, that, that's you. You people in the company need to take on the administrative duties of said company in things that you are not, that you don't enjoy. Right. For the company. And so that's very, very rare. And as you well know, 90% of what you do is about trying to get into the room. Yep. Where in school, 90% of it is being in the room, and the little 10, 5% is their mumblings about the business. But everything else is about the hustle. So you've got to get people together who are willing to do the hard administrative tasks. And then what, you know, what's your angle? What's your, you know, this word I hate, but makes sense in America, brand, mm-hmm. right? What are you branding? Are you um, an all-male uh, black theater company? Okay, that's kind of interesting. There aren't a lot of, there isn't a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Right, you're championing only writers of color. Right, maybe you're making your own podcast, like you're doing. Maybe you're uh, like, how do you get together? Because also, I think what happens is we all get siloed 
into this, especially during COVID, but in these alone places. And theater is a social form, mm-hmm. right? So we need people. We need to be together uh, in order to do our work. And that, that energy feeds on itself. So, yes, you've got to have a company meeting every week at Tuesday at 5 o'clock. We've got to talk about what's going on. you got to give yourself deadlines. What's the project you're working on? How are you going to produce it? Where are you going to bring it? Who are you going to invite? Who's going to send out the mailings to the you know all that stuff? Not I guess not mailings to agents anymore, but um, you know it's you've got to have people who are willing to do the shit work. Right. You know, an art administrator coming out of school is immediately hired. Yeah. <laughs> you know they get immediately get work in the thing that they were studying how to do because they're they're a commodity that's a great scarcity. Right. Right. So they get to do it, but actors. It's totally saturated. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll refer you back to this Scott Glenn episode with Mark Maron. He talks about that a lot. Um, uh, but anyway, you should check it out. It's, it's solid. Um, but so yeah, man. I don't. I think. I think that's part of it. You know. Um, I think thinking of yourself. One of the things I start to say to young actors now at the end of training is, how many of you people think you're a salesman? Right. And usually, like one person raises their hand and I'd say to them like you better get your mind and your head straight because you are a business person and you are in the business of selling Aaron Lloyd right right that's your job you would have done better to go to school and get a degree in marketing than you did get in acting I actually minored in communications for that I know you, I know you did I saw that <laughs> yeah so that's a serious skill yeah right one, because it's training you to think about, like, how do I work inside of the, the fucked up fabric of this business? Like, what do I have to offer that's of use? Right. Danger of that becomes, <laughs> um, I'm known as a fight choreographer. Mm-hmm. I'm a really good actor, but I keep getting hired as a fight choreographer, and every once in a while I get hired as an actor, but mostly people know me as a fight guy. Right. And people are incredibly... Um, stupid in show business in terms of you know, the people that pull the strings the agents the producers most of them are idiots mm-hmm. and they can only see you as one thing there's a reason you see the same actors doing the same kind of parts over and over again it's because Hollywood has no imagination right right so you have to have the imagination you know I, I love this brother who made uh, Atlanta I just forgot his oh, name oh Donald bro he's my favorite I, he, he's oh, my inspiration guy. Donald Glover man yep. like what talent yeah. But talk about fucking drive. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, Gambino, he's he's writing, he's directing, he's acting. Like, he is fucking fierce. Yeah. And, he's, and he will not stop. He's pulled by something in him so deep. Um, but I promise you, if I could ever talk to him, or maybe you will at some point, um, is that he does not give up. Yeah. He just keeps going at it. That, and I think there's a tremendous amount of luck involved. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of it is totally out of your control. They, uh, I don't know if you remember this. I might have said this to your class. There's this movie, Unforgiven, with Clint Eastwood, um, where he's uh, it's at the end of the movie, and he's standing over Gene Hackman, and he's just shot him. And Gene Hackman's dying on the floor, and Clint Eastwood pulls out his, you know, uh, his pistol and has it pointed at his head and um, 
Gene Hackman goes, I, I don't deserve this. And Clint Eastwood says, deserve and ain't got nothing to do with it. Boom! And blows his head open. Wow. That's the acting business. <laughs> what you deserve and what you get are two real different things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I made the mistake. This goes back to your earlier point about things to think about when you come out of school. Is like I made the mistake of thinking that because I was a really good actor that I deserved to work. Mm. Guess what? Deserving ain't got nothing to do with it. Yeah. You got to put in your time. It's great to be somebody's kid. It's great if you went to Yale, Juilliard, or NYU. And I'm not saying their training is better than ours. Some of it is. Some of it isn't. But it's a it's a carpet, right? Or you're you know, you're somebody's kid. You look at people in Hollywood; they're almost always someone's kid who was in show business before. Right. You know, some of them suck. A lot of them suck. Um. Uh, you know, Scott Glenn talks about this a lot. I'm really interested in this because, uh, like, one of the things that I did to myself as an actor, which I which I probably you went through too, is I started because of all the adversity. I started doubting my talent. Mm. And I started doing what I thought the agent, what I thought the casting director, what I thought the director wanted instead of what I intuitively knew was a good choice. So I started watching myself because they were saying like, ah, oh, you know, when you do this, you, you know, you're kind of not the right part. You're turning your head to the side. You, maybe you need to get more of this. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Most of them don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're bottom feeders whose job it is to work off of your talent and to sell it. And they're not all terrible people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kill myself with this. But a lot of them really don't know what they're doing. So they just know some of them are really great and they understand, okay, they, that's a raw talent right there, right? Mm-hmm. I can see that. Um, but a lot of them don't know and find themselves in positions of power and you start listening to the things that they're saying and that voice in your gut is telling you like, I don't know that that's right. I don't, mm, you know, and you start second guessing your own talent and then you get into trouble. Um, but going back to your point, I was talking about practice, 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 practice. You know how you've got to find a way to do that. So if you don't have a rich person, you've got to find a job. You know, you're not married to a rich person. You've got to find a hustle that doesn't suck your body. You've got to understand that it's a long-term process. It ain't going to happen in fucking pilot season that you do once. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. So you've got to have a mindset of a long of a long term this is a marathon right and you have to be good to yourself take care of your spiritual practice take care of your body take care of your mind like those are things you at what do you have control over yeah that's as i'm getting older that's what i'm starting to understand understand the difference i think it's part of alcoholics anonymous right to part of the the wisdom to know the difference between the two what you have control over Mm -hmm. and what you don't have control over um you know so as I'm getting older, I'm starting to fo- I'm only really focusing on the things that I have control over, and then I'm seeing how those other things dovetail and flow through my life, and I'm making those choices. You know, um, I still act. I love acting. Uh, I still pursue acting. I don't pursue it as a freelancer. Uh, I love teaching. I love watching the light go off in a young person's eyes when they figure something out. Right. Um, you know, I love watching. It's my you know, you're a former teacher and. My former colleague, Karen Riker, used to say, a wonderful voice teacher, um, used to say, I love gardening because I love watching things grow, and that's why I love teaching. So, like, to see you now, my friend, because most of the time for students, like, I never hear from people ever again. (laughs) (laughs) We have this deep, intimate relationship 
as teacher and student and you fly off into the world and we never hear from you guys again. Right. So, uh, it's great to make this connection with you, man. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm such a big fan. I've always been a big, big fan of your work and mostly your spirit. Um, so going back to your practice thing, I think that's it. You got to stick with it. And you know, uh, the other things to watch out for that are down, that were downfalls in many of an actor career that I know, and I certainly struggled with it too, are drugs and alcohol. Right. Right. Um, uh, alcohol is one of those drugs, which is great to say, like, um, you drink it and you go, I don't want to feel this right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's what booze does. Right. That's a, da- that's a dangerous drug. Yeah. Right. And you can get addicted to, I don't give a fuck. Right. right. Um, you know, in the restaurant business, it was filled with blow and heroin, all kinds of horrible shit. Um, some of which I got into and some of which I didn't, but it's a big distraction. Yeah. Going back to your other thing, like part of the loop that I got caught up in when I was coming up in New York was there's a whole scene in the restaurant scene, right? There's a whole social fabric mm-hmm. and you're making money and you have friends and you're dating girls and, you know, you're having a good time. You're a man about town. You're flush with cash. And so that becomes addictive. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you wake up and you're like, why did I come to New York? Right. I came to New York tables. Shit. And it's been five years. And I booked two jobs. Ah, man. So you can get caught up in those loops, those social loops. I knew guys who were caught up in catering and then going out to club scenes every night. Right. You know, they just went clubbing. That was it. What they did, fine. They worked retail and, you know, and they just forgot that they ever trained as actors. Um, because that, that, uh, that orbit of that black hole, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's fun too. Don't get me wrong. You know, drugs are fun. That's what people do them. And, and, running around and being a playboy, it's a good time. But um, if you're not careful, that will take over. And, and this, this goes back again uh, to what we were talking about. When I hear actors say, um, <laughs> I want to be an actor, but my parents also said that I need to get a degree in business. And I say, okay, well, does that interest you? And he said, well, it's just a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, guess what? The backup plan is going to become the plan. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if you have a backup plan, that will eventually become the plan. So there has to be a click that goes off in your head. And I don't blame anybody for leaving the acting business. And I certainly would think at this point you wouldn't either because it's just so much bullshit involved with it. But, um, and I always say, I think I said to you the first day of training, if there's anything else that you love to do that makes you happy, you should do it. That was the first day of class. Yeah, I remember. I say it every time I have a new class, right? Yep. And students are like, what? You know, like, you need to hear that right now, right? If you're happy being a lawyer, great. They make a lot of money. They have a house. They have cars. They have a good living. They're not worried about food on their table. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, if that makes you happy, do that. Um, I tried to do it. You know, I was working for Citibank when I was in New York. I was making shit tons of money. I was one of their top salesmen. I was miserable. Right. Right? And I just said, okay. And that was a spiritual check. Like, I'm making lots of money. This is not fun. I, 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 I'm not getting excited about profits are up, guys. Like, I, that didn't excite me. You know? Right. And, and like, oh, oh, okay, that's a good way to spend a life, you know? And so to waste your life trying to be safe, trying to be comfortable, I think is a real mistake. Like, Bruce Lee, who's one of my idols, uh, would say, um, don't wish for a comfortable life 
wish for the strength to endure a difficult one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. So going back to survival, it's like you got to put in. You also have to understand like um, the gold rush, right? The gold rush in the 1800s in California, um, all these people came from around the country, you know, mostly white folks, to come to California to make their riches because they were all poor. And they're going to make their riches in gold. And it came from across the states. People were hearing about it. Guess who the people who made the money were? I don't know who. The people who sold the shovels. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, for real? Or is this a metaphor? This for is real. like real. Oh, wow. For real. The people that sell the mining supplies were the ones who get it. So you have to also understand as an actor that many of the people in the business, and I want you to talk about this, are there to prey upon you mm-hmm. and to prey upon your fear. Mm-hmm. Right. Take my class so you can understand. Take this so you can understand this. You need this now. You need more of this, and that's kind of like those are the go- those are the people selling the shovels to you. Um, and th- there are good teachers out there, you know, and there are people who have stuff to offer. But at the end of the day, and I say this to my students, anybody who tells you that they can teach you how to act doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about or is selling you something. Right. It's a process of self-discovery. So, in the in the in the in the voice of having all of these things like pound upon us, all these pressures, all these you know things, they're telling you, you're not you're not good enough. You don't have this. You are probably you are, especially when you turn on the television. I can't. I mean, I watch so much bad acting on TV and film that I want to rip my hair out. You know, um, so it's not about that. It's about how do you get into that circle of influence, and that's about putting in your motherfucking time. Yeah. Um, and and you figured out there's nothing else that you can do that makes you happy. Because yeah. <laughs> if there is, please do that. Please do it. Yeah. I ask all my guests this: when you think of the word creative, who who comes to mind for you, and why? I was just watching, I saw it in Boston, but I was thinking of um, David Byrne. Um, he created a show which was on Broadway just before COVID broke, American Utopia. Mm-hmm. And David Byrne is the quintessential essence to me of an artist. Um, to have a creative spirit, to be able to create something from nothing, I think is is the ultimate artistic act which is why I get kind of bored with actors, especially young actors, because basically it's about behavior and then wanting to learn their blocking and stand places and walk around. I don't, I don't always see acting as art. I see this craft. Mm-hmm. Um, when, and then there are actors who become artists. Judy Dench is an artist, you know, Ian McKellen is an artist. Denzel Washington is an artist. Uh, Viola Davis is an artist, mm-hmm. but that, you know, they, they take it to another level. Um, but I think for the most part, the reason I'm interested in David Byrne, who is the lead singer, uh, the front man and the creator of The Talking Heads, um, and his show, um, is that he's, he's also a visual artist. He's constantly playing with sound. Um, he was influenced by music of all kinds from all parts of the world and incorporated it into his own style and his own thing. And his show, if you haven't seen it, is breathtaking. Um, it's one of the best I've seen on stage uh, in the United States, anyway, for the last probably ten years, mm-hmm. um, I, like, I, lo- I like Hamilton, you know. But um, <laughs> uh, this, but 
David Byrne, what he's doing in that show, and it's more more like it's hard to describe if you haven't seen it, but it's more like concert than it is theater, but it is theater. And he's dealing with incredible he's he's also responding to the moment in time. Mm-hmm. Right? He's talking about racial justice, he's talking about white oppression, he's talking about, you know, um um community and 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 he's and he's influencing it in this wonderful way with music and i remember being in the <laughs> i remember being in the in the theater in this amphitheater in boston is probably ten thousand seats or something you know it's this huge huge amphitheater and the whole place was up on their feet and moving and dancing and having a good time like that happens almost never yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who said to me, he was a musician, and he said to me, I said, he, he was also an actor, and he's a very skilled musician. I was like, man, why are you bothering with this acting shit, man? You're a musician, man. You're, like, you're doing some serious creative action. And he was like, well, I'm interested in ideas, mm. right? That's what theater is, an examination to me of ideas. And I said, I said, yeah, okay, I, I feel you, I feel you. And then he said, you know, but there also is nothing quite like having a bunch of groupies throwing their panties up you on the stage jumping up and down to your shit while you're playing <laughs> like, and I was like yeah 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 that's different alright that, that's never happened to me when I've been on stage where you know I watched a bunch of groupies in the front row trying to get back to me like you know <laughs> that never happened so yeah I, I'm really in, I'm really interested in um, in those kind of music things uh, especially, um, yeah, that 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 act of, of making something of nothing, I think, is 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 really key. You know, painters, visual artists, Banksy, you know, people mm. who are doing something that we're pushing the boundaries of what is possible, right? You know, and that's the other side. It's like all this shit that I'm saying. They also don't they they play the game, but they don't play the game. They say I'm going to do something different, right? Right. I'm going to push beyond what pe- people tell me. Oh, no, you can't do that. Like when my theater company was making a show, they're like, okay, you're going to be together for, you're going to create this show about Serena Shackleton. You're going to do it. It's going to, you know, um, it's impossible. You don't have a script, right? So we're going to make the script. We're going to do it in four weeks. Mm-hmm. I got just enough money. I got this housing at UConn. I got just enough money to put these people in the theater. We're going to figure it out. And people are coming on, you know, August 15th. There's going to be an audience and we're going to show them. And everybody around me was telling me, you can't make it happen. And so then you've got to basically say, to hell with it, and fuck everything that I'm saying, and forget naysaying, and throw it out the window, and just don't quit. You can't quit. Right. That's it. And you've got to find the time to practice. Well, yeah, I would like to have a beer right now, but you know what? I'm going to work on these sides. Right. I'll work on these sides. I'm going to get these sides cold right now. Um, you know, I'm the biggest procrastinator in the business. Um, another one of your teachers, one of my favorite quotes from him, David Allen Stern, um, also incredible dialect coach, uh, used to say, um, I'm a big procrastinator. So what I say to myself when I have a project in front of me is, especially when I don't want to do it, is I'm just going to start. Mm. Right? Right. That's deep. Yeah. That's deep. You know, like I say to my students, like, and I may have said it to you, Rome was not built in a day. It was built one brick at a time. Right. Gotta lay the bricks. Susan Laurie Parks was talking about this. I had this conversation with her. She was saying, um, "What she's she teaches playwriting at NYU now. Um, also one of the great American writers. 
Um, but she, she's saying when students come up to me and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having I'm having a problem with my play. The first question she asks is, well, are you writing? Because <laughs> if you ain't writing, you got a problem. Right. You know, Hemingway would get down every day. He knew that he had to write 10 pages. Right. He finished off at the end of the end of a sentence when he had an idea to get himself started to go the next day. Like, what are the strategies? You got to put in the time. Yeah. If you're waiting for something to happen and hoping something will happen and you're not laying the bricks, it ain't going to fucking happen. Facts. That's real. How do yeah. people how do people uh, connect with you? you? You dropped a lot of gems in here in terms of like just um, movement practices, breath practices. You you fight choreographer if people are looking for a Shakespearean actor. How how do people connect with you? I'm between managers at the moment. Um, uh, so uh, the best way to contact me is Gregory.webster at UConn.edu. Um, I don't do it, or you can take a look at our website, splitknuckletheater.org, um, to see the Lecoq work and see samples of our work and the stuff that we're doing. So, um, that my company is doing, which are all Lecoq trained people. So you can come and check us out on that. So, um, but mostly, you know, you get a question. I, I, I love talking to people who are curious. So drop me a line. Love it. Greg Webster, y'all.